Thanks for listening. This is Angela and David. The following episode was recorded in the winter of 2019. Stay safe. Rise up. Be mighty. This is Into the Trenches. This is an entertainment podcast. We talk to people in the biz, and we're talking about directors, casting directors, producers, actors, anybody who's in this industry. We want to talk to them and talk about what it's like to be in the trenches. No matter what size market that you live in, the one thing that's universal is that this business is hard. So our hope is to have people on the podcast who can share their journey, and perhaps you'll relate with them, learn from them, or just have an amazing time listening to them. I'm David S. Hogan. I'm Angela DeMarco. And this is Into the Trenches. With us today is Lowell Dayo. Welcome to Into the Trenches. Glad to be in the trench. (laughs) (laughs) Start it off, Angela. Well, Lowell, thank you for being with us as our second guest. I'm honored. Thank you. And both Dave and I have known you now for years, but a lot of people listening maybe don't know you or only uh, Uber fan you from afar, cyber stalk you perhaps. They sure want to get to know you. Don't we all? Oh, you make me feel like I have a social life. Thank you. <laughs> so I want to take it back, all the way back to Lowell, the television broadcast phenomenon. Oh, my. Okay. (laughs) And wondering, first of all, if you miss being on television in that capacity, and what made you start? Well, to answer your first question, nope, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. But I'm still a news junkie, especially with... uh, uh, our situation the last few years, I uh, love to watch, especially the, the cable shows, the network shows, trying to figure out what they're going through, mm. you know, how you might handle it, how I might handle it if I were there, that type of situation, because it's just history in the making. It's crazy making, too. Uh, you asked how I got started? Yes. Well, when I was young... When the earth was still cooling, I was in Lubbock, Texas, Mm. and we had to always have summer jobs. And so the only summer job I could find one summer was as a cashier at a fish restaurant. And I realized that, no, don't do this anymore. So the next (laughs) summer, (laughs) the next summer, I thought, well, what do I want to do? And the funny thing was I had done some productions. I'd been like an actor, but... Being the hyper-practical type that I was, what am I going to say? Mama, I want to be an actor. I want to do summer stock. I want to do this, especially in Texas. So now I thought, maybe I can do broadcasting. It's kind of sort of the similar thing, right? You get Mm -hmm. to go with the public. You get to talk. You get to, you know, perform. So was driving by the NBC affiliate, and I thought, why not? So just drove in the parking lot, just walked in, no appointment whatsoever. How old were you? I was, I think it was like 17, 16 or 17. Wow. And just asked if I could have a job. And when you watch newscasts, especially back then, they would roll credits. And so the last person that would be credited was teleprompter operator. So I thought, oh, okay, how hard can it be? I'll ask to be the teleprompter operator. It is hard. (laughs) Especially when you see the look on the anchors' faces, like when you're not keeping pace. Or back then we had to, like, tape the pages. And uh, sometimes the the prompter would have a mind of its own, and it would just, like, 
start going, <laughs> or sometimes you get them in the wrong order. And then, the, but the anchors were always like so gracious; they were so kind. And so the news director called me into his office, and he's like, "Yeah, we're going to take you off the teleprompter." And I thought, "I'm getting fired." And he's like, "No, we want to make you a reporter." Wow. Mm-hmm. And I thought, "What?" So I'd been. Um, on the newspaper staff in high school. So I thought, okay, it can't be that hard. I hope, I hope. And it was stressful, but it was a lot of fun also. Anyway, to get to your point, to get to your question, I ended up winning a $200 scholarship to any university in Texas. Mm. But the only strings were I had to declare myself a journalism major. So I didn't want to lose the money. Yeah. So I declared myself a journalism major. And then fast forward four years, you're crossing the dais and you're getting your diploma for broadcast journalism. And you're thinking, what the heck did I just do? <laughs> because you realize, I don't want to do this for a living. But you try it for a while. And I made the move from Austin to Texarkana to Baltimore to St. Louis and then finally to Seattle. And then after a while, develop the inner strength to say, this isn't making me happy. Mm. What would make me happy? And then you go back to the memories of when you would do those productions, those stage productions or those little commercials. And I thought, I'm going to take a chance. So that's what happened. Mm. I love that. That's an awesome story. So wait a minute. So you did do stage productions in when did the... When did the acting bug bite? Was that high school? Was it earlier than that? No, it was earlier than that. It, it was elementary school. Uh, I played King Herod at the uh, boys' club version of, I don't know, the, the Christmas story, a biblical story, whatever. I was like the bad guy, you know, um, calling for Jesus to be executed, blah, blah, blah. But it was so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. No, but in terms of when I really made the transition from journalism to acting, I was in St. Louis, mm -hmm. actually, and was not not enjoying it, not having a lot of fun. And I got a phone call from the most powerful agent in St. Louis who said, Lowell, you don't know me. You have no idea uh, what we're about, but we have a client who is doing these industrials, these uh, corporate commercials, and they want you to voice them. And wow. I thought, okay. Now, my broadcast contract there strictly forbade it. I was not supposed to do it at all, but I thought, forget this. I'm, I'm going to take a chance. So I went and I did it, and then I got the paycheck, and I thought, oh, my gosh, there must be some mistake, because it was like an incredible, to me, it was an incredible check. And I thought, I want to do this. I really want to do this. But then a short time later, I ended up moving to Seattle. And then the funny thing was, I got the same phone call from the same uh, agent in St. Louis. And I'm like, oh, I'd love to, but I'm in Seattle now. And she's like, that's okay. You know, we can do it. We'll rent you a studio and blah, blah, blah. And got another check like that. And I thought, that's when the bug really hit, because I thought, I don't necessarily have to be poor. Mama was wrong. Mm. Yeah. I, there's a little lesson in there. So you broke a rule or bent a rule. No, I broke it. You broke it. <laughs> All right. You broke a rule, but look uh, look where that led. Were you ever reprimanded or punished for breaking that, that rule? Or They never knew. Okay. They never knew. <laughs> they All might right. know now. Well, I mean, it's so. I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that up because I certainly think that one of the first things that I'd noticed about you when I first met you was just the sound and the quality of your voice. And I was like, 
Lowell has an amazing voice, right? Mm-hmm. And that just, that always stuck with me. And it's, it's not shocking that people want to hire you to voice their stuff. Do you feel no, like, yeah, yeah, But I was going to say, that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. No, Tell me more. What people want, especially these days, what voice buyers want, they want real voices. They want millennials. They want, mm. um, you know, just average Joe voices and... Like it or not, I tend to be typecast as voice of God or game show announcer or announcer. And especially coming from a background as a broadcast journalist where we're always trained to project, uh, I find that we have to, like, untrain ourselves Mm. to retrain ourselves. And so that puts us way behind the eight ball. Is there any pressure sounding a bit like God? It depends if I hear your prayers. (laughs) <laughs> then the pressure is on you, isn't it? I No, I, I think there is something to that in that I've always been a woman, even from elementary school, middle school, that I had an alto to my voice, that I've never really had a what was considered the high-pitch feminine voice. And so I tend to always get certain roles. I was always the mother roles in in the plays, you know, at school and even into college. It was always I was playing the maternal, more older roles. They're like, well, and they never would tell me why. And I knew it was, oh, because of this. So I get what you mean by being typecast and that sometimes it can be a negative. But then soon you just embrace, look, this is me. How can I make that work to my benefit? Or did you uh, just to interrupt? Did you find yourself pushing against that in terms of no? I can be the I can be the soprano. I can be the the really really young ingenue. The- yeah, I never I never did. Uh, I think because a I I didn't want to sound like someone I wasn't. I wanted to show them that I can be an ingenue, and an ingenue doesn't have to sound like this. And a lot of directors I was able to go in audition. They saw that I could still do the role but sound or look the way I do. And I think there's something to that. And I think as a producer myself, having seen you, met you, and your talent, and thought to cast you in many of our projects, that I've always loved your tone, but also that you're just a phenomenal actor. So I think, thank you for me, that you made that shift from in St. Louis or broke that rule. Because I always say, if it's not broken, break it. Because if we're all just doing the same thing in the same mold over and over again, I think that can make art pretty stale. So and that I'm, just goes to risk-taking. The yes. Idea that especially in this industry and in life, we have to take certain risks in order to really uh, succeed or to find those things that are really our, our calling, I think. I have a question for Lowell. Yes. It, co- it comes back to this idea of coming back here to the Pacific Northwest. Mm. What, uh, what keeps you here? And do you ever think about... You know, as, as far as a person in the trenches, being an actor, do you ever think about uh, venturing elsewhere to a, to a bigger, a larger market? I know what it's like to be in a city that you love, and then for the sake of career, you end up leaving it. Like Baltimore, I loved, but I had an agent at the time who was like, oh, you want to go to the Midwest, blah, blah, blah. And I was too quick to listen to him. And I went, and it wasn't a good fit, you know, not necessarily the city, but maybe it was just my place in the city. Maybe it was who I was at the time in that city. So when I got to Seattle, and I got to Seattle because a a college friend of mine moved here, and I visited, and it was one of those months that began with M. It was either March or May, but 
cloudless sky, balmy mm. temperatures. It was just perfect, and the people were so nice. And I thought, I just felt like I was home. Mm. But of course, when you're an actor, you do feel like, oh, I've got to get to L.A. I've got to get to L.A. I've got to get to L.A. Um, I think the pressure was less on me for that because I think a lot of people who do say that are the classically trained actors who like really studied and gone through the trenches to really hone their craft in the traditional sense. I didn't. And plus, my brother who lives in L.A., I was talking to him on the phone, telling him that I was feeling the pressure that maybe it was now or never. I had to, you know, try. And he's like, well, do you like driving? I'm like, <laughs> no. Do you like traffic? <laughs> no. And he's like, I think you've answered your question. <laughs> you don't need this. You would go crazy. So that kind of helped make the decision. Lowell, uh, now as Lowell, the actor, the thespian, what is, or, and it could be more than one, one of the most challenging roles you've had to tackle on stage or screen? Well, the play I did last year, Language Rooms, that was pretty challenging because I hadn't done a play in like 20 years. And then you realize, wow, my memory's not what it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> words, words, words. Words, so many words, and they want them in a certain order. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to make sense. Um, but that was challenging because the character I portrayed was the villain, but he was also the humor mm -hmm. in the piece. And so you're thinking, what a funny villain? How do you how do you how do you thread that needle? So that was challenging. And then there was a film, a feature film I did with a Portland director, mm. Sean, where half of it was based in reality. The other half was based in fantasy. Mm. And so the challenge was how do you make these two parts completely different? And so I hit upon the idea of, oh, maybe I'll just bleach my hair. And I just threw it out to him and he's like, yeah, I love that idea. Oh, even though I was not serious about it at all, I was just totally just riffing. And so I ended up bleaching my hair, burning my scalp. But uh, it was fun because sometimes when you do approach a character from the outside, it gets you inside. Mm, I love that. Where can I find clips of this uh, bleached hair look, please? <laughs> Is this on YouTube or anywhere else on the Internet? It's well hidden mm -hmm. until the movie comes out. No, right. Oh, good, well, good, good. What's that? What's the film title? Is on your IMDb? I'm sure. It is. All right, good. It's called it? Once Between a Time. Wonderful. And as for that play, uh, I had the honor of of seeing you in that play, and I love that you called yourself the villain, but yet the humor, which I think a lot of times it's easy for actors to just pick one and not see that there is the other. And I felt how you had us just constantly in the palm of your hand as this antagonist, but yet we were always laughing with you, that you would suck us in and we could hate you or see what you were doing, and then we'd be cracking up laughing with you, and then we'd feel so dirty about doing it. But it was just beautiful to, to see that because I had only known you up until that point as a film actor and only seen your art that way, but not to have take after take and to have the audience ride that journey with you and it was a pretty dark and powerful journey i just uh 
have to say that bravo it was it was definitely an amazing piece oh my gosh thank you for that yeah can i put that in my yelp review yes of course (laughs) i'll do that for you so as as an actor that does uh film or on camera work and stage do you have a preference do you uh yeah what's what's the difference what do you like what do you yeah what would you like to do or do you like doing both I like doing both. I would like to do more theater. But again, when you're in the thick of it, there is that terror of, oh, my gosh, so many things can go wrong. And it's not like you can sit back and have a director go, ah, we'll give you another take. Okay, one more take. This is just one shot, one shot per night. So I I love them for entirely different reasons. And I hope one day to become the masters that you and Angela are. Oh, stop it. You didn't have to do that. Will you write that write that for my Yelp review? <laughs> <laughs> Writing as we speak. Hey, we're taking a break for some sponsor shout-outs. Who are we shouting out today, Angela? The Seattle Film Summit, coming this November 2020. You can check them out on Facebook for more details. SeattleFilmSummit.com. All right, I have a sponsor shout-out for Jody Rothfield Casting. If you're casting a commercial, a movie... Jody is the person you want to contact, jodyrothfield at gmail.com, also for you actors. She teaches an amazing auditioning workshop for adults and youth. Shout out to Mighty Tripod Productions and Mighty Tripod Acting Studio. Follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or check us out at mightytripod.com. I would love, uh, if you're willing to share, something that perhaps people don't know about you? Something people don't know about me? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know what people know, so I guess that's kind yeah, of a, it's hard. a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing this fermented food thing, mm. this, this strange kick, and don't ask me why. Maybe it's, maybe it's just an occupied time while I'm waiting for the phone to ring. But, you know, make my own yogurt, make kimchi, what? Yeah, and my favorite thing is I like to make um, homemade soda. What? Okay. okay. Yeah. Your favorite? What's your favorite soda to make? Uh, root beer. Okay. Which Good. is also the uh, toughest, Ooh. and it was the one that was failing miserably for a while, but then you get one batch, and it's like, oh my gosh, this tastes like root beer. That's and my... you, you know how to make. This, oh, right? that's my favorite. No, ginger. no, yeah. please tell us. It's my favorite soda. Really? I'm not a soda person, but root beer, it's just got that nostalgia because of root beer floats growing mm-hmm. up. So are you willing to share with us that process? It's so easy. Well, I shouldn't say that because it's been like trial and error with lots of error. Uh, but first, you have to start with something called the mother. Mm. Uh, and the mother is basically a great equal parts ginger, distilled water. Can't use water straight from the tap. It's got to sit out for... 24 hours, get rid of the chlorine, and then you have an equal amount of sugar. You combine all this in a mason jar, and you let it sit out. You, 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 yeah, you put a coffee filter on top of it so that it can breathe. The thing is the uh, ginger attracts uh, the good microbes, and so that's how it comes alive. That's where you get your fizz from. Wow. Okay. And then for the root beer part, and this works for any soda that you make, whether it's like uh, grapefruit soda, orange soda, grape soda, uh, you can do anything. I've done everything except tomato soda. Maybe that'll. I don't come think next. that's going to take off. Um, <laughs> you never know until you try. Anyway, you have to make what's called the wort. 
W O R T. Okay, thank mm-hmm. you. And so you basically just um, uh, mash up a bunch of grapes or whatever fruit you're using, and you boil it in a big old pot for a few minutes, and then you let it simmer for about an hour. Mm. Now, root beer is tougher because you have to have all these specialized ingredients, whether it's like your sassafras or sarsaparilla, your your bitter root, your cinnamon stick, your um, uh, raw sugar. Sassafras, that's an ingredient. I thought that was like an adjective. That person's got a lot of sassafras. Oh. What, is, what is sassafras? I've never seen this thing. Uh, it's a it's mystery. Something you buy online. All right. And you, <laughs> you get it and you open it up and you're like, oh, that's what it looks like. Like a plant? What that's what it looks like. So what does it look like, by the way? It looks like bark. Oh, wow. <laughs> pretty right. much pretty okay. much everything looks like bark. And the first few iterations of root beer I made, you felt like you were drinking a tree. You felt like you were... <laughs> oh, sounds delicious. You felt like you were drinking bark. Or, Did you bring any for us to sample? Because I, I would love to drink a well, tree. Well, I thought about it, but then I remembered the last time I tried to take a bottle of soda mm-hmm. to a special party, a gathering. I thought, oh. Why take wine? I'll take this bottle that I'm of of, uh, of goodness of nectar that I made. Yes. And so I guess it was all the walking to the bus stop. For, but for whatever reason, I'm on the bus. And then after a few minutes, the thing explodes. Oh no! And it sounds like a gunshot. Oh right? no! And everybody's like looking around, and everybody's thinking about ducking. And then so you're thinking, oh my gosh. What do I do? What do I do? And so then you start looking around so people don't look at you like you're the one, like you're the idiot. Mm-hmm. And then when all the water's like licking down, leaking down your lap, you're thinking, okay, maybe, maybe they'll just think I was scared. Oh no! <laughs> as you, as you urinate root beer all over your pants. Exactly. Oh no! Well, exactly. But that you know, it like, it like life. It's trial and error. And so when you finally get to the point where you make a batch of root beer, because after a while you're like, I'm not trying that again. But you make it and it tastes like the old-timey root beer that you may have had when we were kids. Yes. You know, then you're like, there's a sense of accomplishment. It's worth it. Yes. It is. I think it's Lowell is the soda pop alchemist of Seattle. I think you're probably right. Do you have a name for your soda? I don't. That's a good question. Maybe I'll call it stuff that won't kill you so far. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll work on that. Maybe an Next acronym. time we're together. Yeah. I think the kimchi will kill first. Yes. 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 <laughs> you, you make a kimchi flavored soda? No, no, no. I make kimchi as well. Oh, okay. You know, the whole fermented food stuff right, that's right. supposedly good for gut health. Mm-hmm. All right. I have another question for you, Lowell, as a... I'm assuming that some of our listeners are going to be in this industry as probably as actors. Mm. Tell me about your experience with local talent agents. When did how did you land an agent and are you happy with your current talent agent? Well, landing an agent can be like the scariest thing possible because it's like you're going on a date, especially a first date and you're you're trying to hide that sense of please like me please like me sure. please please I'm wor- please think I'm worthy please think I'm worthy and um I've been pretty lucky I've gotten most of the agents that I've wanted you know there've been a few who've been like yeah maybe no um well, that, that's their loss. And they're missing out for yeah, sure. Yeah they they're looking back going oh boy I, I missed that up. Are they are they really uh, my current agent, Melissa Baldoff, at Big Fish Northwest, 
I got her because we lived a few doors down in the same neighborhood. And I was happy with uh, my agent at the time, Helene Ward. Uh, and Melissa was always like, you know, when are you going to come over to me? When are you going to come over to me? And then I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. But then Helene hung up her shingle or she took down her shingle rather and packed it in. And then Melissa just asked another time. And I'm like, sure. And I have not regretted it since because Melissa is a bulldog. Yes. Uh, and the funny thing is, a lot of people are terrified of her. And I think I'm lucky because living a few doors down for her for the longest time, it's like, that's just Melissa. If you are able to develop a relationship that goes beyond, please, please like me, please get me work, please, please, then I think you're golden. I, I really appreciate the relationship you guys have, and I can see how she supports you as a person and your artistry, and I love that you bring up, and some people are so intimidated by her, because I want to steer that a little towards you as well, which might be why you guys connected uh, so quickly, is something I do know about you, and now that I've been your friend for years, that I love about you, is your intellectual wit. You are so witty, and I would say sometimes there's this, what people would call a dry wit, like it's almost that uh, straight face and you're making a joke and people don't know whether you're joking or being serious. And I think some people will get intimidated by you versus letting it actually sink in and realizing you just told a hilarious joke. Where did you get that wit from, or that humor? Thank you for that. Uh, I think I would look at it more of, Okay, so this is why I get one date and one date only. <laughs> this is why my phone doesn't ring in my personal life. So it's working for your uh, acting life and your comedy, but it's not working for your dating life? Is that what you're saying? Something like that. Though it, sometimes it misfires in the uh, audition room as well. I can't imagine. I, I don't know. It's just one of those things where eventually as actors, I think a lot of us as actors, we want people, we need people to like us. And so everything is a calculation of what do I say? How do I say it? Do I clean it up? How do I change it? But also the beauty of getting older is after a while you're just like, I don't have time for this. Mm -hmm. And so you just say what's on your mind and how it comes out and just let the chips fall where they may. And that's what I always loved about you two because you're the rare pair whom I would trot some of this stuff out. And you didn't run away. In <laughs> fact, you would crack a smile, especially this one over here, David. And I thought, okay, maybe it's maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It is okay. It's more than okay. It's uh, it's great. It's just you being you. We gotta we we have to really look to accept people for who they are, and uh, that's what I really appreciate about you. Is just I'm like I, I like how Lowell rolls. That's what I love about you. Lowell rolls. Lowell, do you have any questions for us? I think something about I've always wondered about you two is, why do you do what you do? And I don't mean the acting thing. Mm -hmm. I mean the thing of you guys are incredibly supportive, always. And you do headshots. You do podcasts now. You do training. That's a lot of work. You know, whereas a lot of actors are just like, just let me do my thing. Let me get my bookings. Let me just make some money. I'm good. Why is it important for you all to to take all these other challenges on? Well, part of it is uh, living in Seattle is expensive. 
you know. Uh, I used to have a, a side hustle, which was a dog services business, dog walking, dog training, to kind of help me pay some bills outside of my um, acting career stuff. But I let that go um, to focus more on being a part of the industry. And I personally want to be an industry leader because I feel like there is a lot of co confusion in the business. Um, and so I like kind of being in that position to help and to support. So whether it's headshots or consulting or obviously teaching classes, um, I just really love being immersed in the industry of, um, let's say on camera. I mean, we do support the stage actors as well, but for me, my passion is working with actors who are in the on-camera business. I just, I just love it. I, I absolutely am uh, engrossed and I think it's fascinating, but also very, very challenging. And I didn't have a lot of help when I first started out. And so now that I've been able to have some success, I just really like giving back. Because I think a lot of actors, especially when it comes to producing, they might have an idea or they might think, oh, this would make a great script or a great film. But when it comes down to it, it's like, I wouldn't know where to start. I don't know how to do it. I, I wouldn't know how to handle mm -hmm. it. So to have that confidence to where you guys can actually say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. We're doing it. Yeah, I think for me, it's it really stems from my childhood to now. My mom was a single mom raising two daughters who are both artists and for me in the acting world she was taken advantage of a lot uh, signing up for workshops or uh, events that were really just a big pay to play and a waste of her time and money just trying to help feed her baby girl's dream so at mighty tripod i think being the director of the youth and teen division is so that i can help other parents so they don't fall into those same pits that they're to support their kiddos and that I'm there for them as a go-to. And then as for our adult students, being a child actor into a teen actor into a young you know, woman into now a 42, almost 43-year-old woman, there were so many things in this business, especially when I lived in LA, but even sometimes here in Seattle, that as a female identifying artist, that I also found that I was treated differently and there was so many more hurdles that I had no idea were coming my way. So I wanted to make sure that I can give my students that. And also then uh, as a queer woman, that there was also that I felt I didn't have a voice. I wasn't allowed to even share that part of myself. So it was something that I knew when we started Mighty Tripod Acting Studio that I wanted to be there for all of my students. But I think my big focus, you ask, why do I do it? And I really still have a main focus of making sure that women have a platform that we feel like we can be seen and that we have a voice. And I think that that is finally changing. But like David said, I still want to be a leader to make sure that they know what steps to take. Because it's just very lonely. It's a very solo mission, uh, this, this career path that we've all chosen. It's never felt like extra. I know. I mean, that's ridiculous. You're right. We work 24-7. But I truly love it. It never feels like a burden. It never feels like, oh, God, I got to wake up and do this today. So... I mean, we're always thinking of other stuff to add to our plate, right. thus into the trenches. So Boy, that, you make it look easy, and I'm sure it's not. Oh, thank you. 
I think the plate's full now, though. So I think yeah, now plate's that we're good. doing this uh, plate's podcast, good. Except well, we plate's a, full. Maybe we need a little root beer with the plate. Maybe a root beer. I can take a drink, but no more food. Yeah, I agree. I'll take a chance. I'll bring a bottle, but All right. no promises. We can come to you. Don't okay. take the bus. We'll travel. We can invite Melissa. All right, bonus round. So bonus round. Bonus round. It's a bonus round. Bonus. Bonus. It's a bonus round. Maybe we'll eventually get some music with this instead of us. I mean, I can beatbox. Okay. Wait, how's that go? nervous. How does that go? The beatbox? No, no, I'm not ready. I didn't warm up. <laughs> uh, so this is something that we ask all of our guests. Okay. It is a series of four questions. I will ask you the first, and you just answer as you see, fitting, follow your heart, your gut. Number one, bonus round question. Waffles or pancakes? Ooh. I would have said pancakes, but... Turns out I have this waffle maker that I discovered that I didn't know I had, and so I made some waffles, and those are good. So definitely, I'm in the waffle camp now. What is your favorite jam? Okay, I see what you did there. You're trying to get me to say strawberry or orange marmalade, but I'm going to say 1970s soft rock. Yes. Yes. Uh, Give me a song title or like a, a band. 70s soft rock. What does that look like? Um, like Moonlight Feels Right by mm. Starbuck. Do you remember that one? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you, are a... you just being polite? Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure you were just thinking diapers. <laughs> <laughs> if you were even on the planet then. <laughs> yes. All right. And please finish this sentence. I'd like to dedicate this Oscar to... My mother. That's an easy one. Last but not least, please finish the sentence. Next time I go into the trenches, I will be sure to. Pay for a professional haircut. And that, my friends, is Lil Dale. <laughs> and here's our outro music. Trenches. <laughs> Thank you for spending some time with us in the trenches. This is the part of the episode where we say things like, please subscribe and like us and follow us on social. Where can they find us, Angela? We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Mighty Tripod. Subscribe. Be mighty. Holla at your boy. Be safe out there. Into the trenches.